Welcome to Nashville to Memphis, a podcast hosted by Dr. Jason Lee McKinney, a recording artist, songwriter, and the rock star professor. N2M is a podcast where Jason and a guest or two literally talk on the phone while Jason is driving down I-40. The only subject criteria is that this podcast is all about the random crap Jason thinks about. So, all of you podcasters and audiophiles, just chill on the sound quality, you dig? Jason is a front pocket theologian, back pocket socio-philosopher, and a jockstrap surveyor of the music industry. You may not be able to make sense of it all, but that's okay. Neither can he. Thanks for listening to Nashville to Memphis. Don't forget to rate and write a review for the podcast on iTunes. You can find it under the title Nashville to Memphis. You can reach the podcast at www.facebook.com slash Nashville to Memphis. And check out Jason's music at www.jasonleemckinneyband.com as well as iTunes and Spotify under Jason Lee McKinney Band. This week on N2M, I pulled my first repeat guest from season one and called my old friend, Brett Nicholson. Brett is the head pastor of One Life Network. One Life is a network of church plants. One Life also recently launched its own podcast. Brett has three kids, one grandbaby, and a saint as a wife. A bass player, Beatles fan, C.S. Lewis aficionado, and deep-thinking dude. Brett and I dive deep into a subject not often spoken about, death. The fear of it, the reality of it, and why we, as a modern society, are so ill-equipped to deal with it when it inevitably happens. You can find the One Life podcast at onelife.works slash podcast. Well, hey, we want to talk about a few things. One is, why would anyone ever eat playing grippos? That's probably the most important subject to cover. Uh, apparently, I, they have some grippos. You do? I know you don't believe me when I'm saying this, but we were at a Westside restaurant last night. We saw that they had grippos, and I had that exact thought uh, because they did offer plain ones. And I was like, would anybody ever do that? That's, oh. uh, I, I, I had that. That went through my head just last night. That, that's ridiculous. That's that's a, right. You know, so, well, um, I feel like we need to bring in Vincent Price for the subject on the podcast today, like he needs to have some sort of, I wish he was still alive, some nefarious laughter because talking about, uh, death, uh, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I've had a lot of thoughts about death lately, which sounds really incredibly morbid. Uh, but it's not, I mean, it's not, it's more, obviously the older we get, it's almost like a math equation. The more people we know that die, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like math. And so it becomes, I think when I was younger, I intellectually understood death, but there's a little more reality to it when you get to the point in your life where you you know people more personally, especially when you start to know people that are younger than you that have passed away and just the suddenness of it. And, the, um, and then also when you start to look at your own age and go, oh, there's mathematically probably more in the rear view than there is up ahead now. That. That's a new one, you know, because you right. obviously spend the first half of your life going, I'm going to live forever. I mean, you don't think that, but in a way, you kind of think that. Um, right. So my first kind of question for you is, I mean, we, we've we known each other for a long time, uh, and and we're not – we've never been like, you know, BFFs and, you know, we're promising to each other in little lockets. But close enough, that I feel like – I feel like I can say that uh, while vocationally – by the nature of what you do, you probably have to be around death, I would imagine, quite a bit. But 
knowing you, you're a pretty sensitive and emotional guy. And it, it, it was sort of like, how do you handle that? I know that there are some pastors that I look at their personality and go, oh, you know, problem, no big deal. But for you, you feel things pretty deeply. And, and has that been a hard part of being a pastor for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to say it wasn't. I mean, because I, I think the hardest thing about it is I'm, I'm a big believer in, in empathy. And so, and I think we all should do that. You know, the, I think of the Bible verse that says, you know, grieve, you know, mourn with those who mourn. And so I try to do that. But when you really do that, it can be a little darkening <laughs> because, uh, you watch someone go through something and you put yourself there. Uh, if you do it very well at all, it can get a little overwhelming uh, and, and kind of color your whole world dark. And so that's been difficult, especially when you see those kinds of situations that are out of the expected order. Uh, younger people dying. I just, just this summer, I had to walk a couple through losing their child and, and a newborn and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's a little easier, obviously, when uh, the first funeral I ever did, literally the guy lived to be 100 and so that was a little easier than, uh, than obviously than, uh, going through that with someone that when, when that expectation is violated and we were dealing with tragedy and younger. So yeah, it, it, it is hard and, uh, you just kind of walk through it. I mean, but I really do. What's helped me is, is to make the hope that we talk about a lot more genuine and believable in my own mind rather than just kind of grabbing for platitudes. Yeah, and I think, I mean, as you know, we, we talked about my, my one son's, uh, friend died in a motorcycle accident, or friends of both of them, um, and he was 21, and I don't think I've ever, I've ever been to a more sad funeral than that. There, there's something yeah. markedly different about it. And, oh, and like my grandfather died, there's just a, there's a general sense of, this isn't right. You, you know, like right. when my grandfather died, it's like, I'm sad. He was my favorite human on the planet, but there wasn't anything tragically wrong, quote unquote, about it. But what is that about our nature of going, there's just something not right about younger people passing on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And and I don't know what it all is. I mean, first of all, it's just the normal course that we expect. And we have, you know, the average age is, what, 75 or uh, for women, it's like 103 or whatever it is. Yeah, or whatever. exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that average expectation. We just kind of build into our own thinking. It's normal for most people to make it into their later years. So that's a part of it. But also, I, I, I think it's personally, it's being confronted with the reality that we all face in that unexpected way where you do have to face into it in a much harsher way. It's like, uh, it's like in one, it's, it, it, we've got it framed right. That one doesn't fit any, in, any, in, inside any framework that we've created in our minds. And it's like it's very in your face and very ugly. And you realize in the end, number one, this could be any of us. And number two, it, it shows death for what it is, that cutting off of hopeful, uh, cutting off of uh, you know, potential, cutting off of everything. It's the, ir- the ultimate irreversible. And so it, that combination, I don't think it gets any worse uh, than, than that, really. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm sort of leading into my the main question, but 
Zeke told me, my son told me that, uh, and actually Zion told me this two separately. My twin told me, um, that, that Ryan dying was almost like their BC and their AD. That there's like, you know, that the, everything is marked by that. And they had other deaths, but no one that close. I mean, no one's their best friend kind of thing. And, right. and, and forever Zion's like, he can tell you the day. Blah blah blah, 2017. Like you know, what I'm saying like my oh, yeah. my life changed forever. And and that's I mean, and they're not morbid guys. They're gonna go on. They're gonna get married, have kids. But there, there is a marked 90 degree turn. They they feel like in their life. And have you seen that with people, positive and negative? Yeah, I, and I don't know that I can I can track down and trace um, people in general that I've seen or watched. I've watched it in my own life to a degree. Um, I have seen it happen negatively, but i I think it's the, I think it's ultimately the ultimate reality check because the way you opened was okay. It sounds morbid to talk about it, and we think of it that way. But if you think about it another way, it's the ultimate truth. Which right. I hate to say it that way, but it really truly is. I mean, there's there's just a fundamental fact that if you don't put that in your equation of how you run your life and think about your life, think about your days, think about your values, your priorities, you're not putting reality into that equation. You're not. You're in denial. You're 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 living in some kind of fantasy world because if you don't think in terms of that reality, uh, you're uh, you're missing it. it was, Surely. It's, so it's not a matter of being more, but it's a matter of being factual and realistic and everything else. And so I think that's uh, they were aided by, hey, uh, I have a reason to believe that I uh, there's no reason to be panicky or weird about it. I have a reasonable expectation I could live into my 80s. That's on average. But on the other hand, this may be my last day. So right. I and so that it sounds cliche, but it's truly not. And And those who are wisest and there's piles of. Bible verses and everything else, and people who are wiser than me that would say that. So I can't point to individuals necessarily that have articulated it that way, the BC kind of deal. Right. Uh, but I know it goes on, and I know it went on in my own life, not because of an individual death, but just finally, I don't know what it was. I just recognized, I think it was primarily through a Bible study thing, that, um, okay, this is how it operates. <laughs> so right. I don't right. think that way. Yeah, you know, I I really get really annoyed sometimes with God because I'll be mad at my wife and I'll want to hold a grudge and not forgive and like reconcile it. And then I'll get ready to leave for the day. And that thought will pop in. This could be your last day. Is this how you want to leave things? And it's like, dang it, no. So I go back in. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah talk. No. I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, you know, so. Uh, but I think thought, that's. Yeah, I think that's wise and realistic, and and people that don't think that way are the ones that are living in a fog. Uh, my daughter, I for my oldest daughter, she once told me that I didn't even realize that before she leaves our presence anytime, she will say "love you guys" or "love you," and I noticed it and I thought that's really really neat. But finally, she told me why in one setting, and and it was because of that. She said, "I truly don't know if it's your last day or mine." And so I want the last thing that I ever said to you to be that. And I thought, wow. And she's 25. Oh, boy, that's wisdom because it's real. I mean, and it's not morbid. It's just, and again, it hasn't happened yet, but someday 
Uh, my dad just died recently, and I had that little pang of regret. I saw him the morning uh, that he – I talked to him the morning that he died. He died later on that night, and no one saw it coming. And I think my last words to him were, see ya. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, kind of one of those things. Yeah, I and I think, too, uh, speaking of death, I remember when she was born, so that means I'm getting closer to death if she's 35. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. Exactly. So, uh, But I feel like our culture, and you, you tell me if you observe this, too. I mean, obviously, I've, I've not done a study. I've not conducted a scientific study. But it seems like through media and games and movies, we are exposed to death more than our ancestors ever were on a frequency basis. But we don't, we don't face the reality of it to the same degree they have. You know, when, when, uh, there didn't used to be nursing homes. When, when grandma and grandpa got old and were close to death, they would come to the house and they would, yeah. they would die there. And there was the, uh, uh, even down to food when we were an agricultural nation, you know, that pig who is your favorite pig was going to be on the dinner table. And I'm not arguing for vegetarianism or against it. It's not that. I'm just saying they solved the process of death in a much more real way. Even though I would say we're exposed to it on a daily basis more often, it's never real. It's always fake to us. And so I don't know that we as a society know how to deal with death very well. Oh, yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right because, uh, you know, we're all our worldview is shaped by the stories that we tell, and so all we, it's primarily through movies, television, that kind of thing. Yeah, you're exactly right. Our exposure to death is always there. It's frequent. You know, people are always getting shot and all that sort of stuff. But we all know Im, implicitly and even subconsciously throughout the whole thing. Well, it's fake. You know, it's not really happening. And so, and even when you they go ahead and let someone die, oftentimes they'll kind of do some afterlife thing or or whatever else to sort of remove the pain of it. But you're right, you know, just not very long ago, people were surrounded by it in very realistic ways. They saw the real thing happen. Nearly everybody, uh, not very long ago, had lost a child. That was fairly common. Uh, every family had. Uh, they, they all had that experience. They all had, uh, you know, you think about going through, say, the the plague or something like that. I mean, it was just, they say that reshaped all of Western civilization because, People were so exposed to it, so immediate in front of their face, that it changed how they viewed life and what they did and what they valued. Yeah, and I think that's that's something we're missing. And I I, I wrote a lyric that I've kind of caught some flack. It's on an album a couple of years ago, and I and I I said the lyric: "Truth is, we're all scared to die." And I know in Christendom, there's a lot of people who espouse the complete lack of fear, and I don't know that I buy that. I do believe, because I've read some books on, that I do believe people who have a faith, e even up from what I've read, even a Jewish faith or even an Islamic faith, and, and transition differently. And I for sure believe Christians who have the hope of, of Jesus Christ and are believing him transition differently. But I don't know that I buy that there's zero fear about that process. One, because of what we just said, that we're not very familiar with it. And then, two, no matter how familiar with it you you are, you experientially are only familiar with it once. You know what I'm saying? Like, and oh yeah, yeah. So, no, I mean, and the test of that is really if I told anybody who claims to not be afraid of death to say, okay, in 30 seconds you're going to die. 
uh, what would be your first reaction? Uh, you'd be scared and you'd be begging for a way out of it. I mean, that, that's so, yes, I think all of us, I always said that I'm not afraid to be dead. I'm just afraid of to die, meaning the process versus the reality. <laughs> you know, and I still get nervous about the reality because right. we have a pretty good picture to a certain degree of what it's going to be. But in the end, it's and I think it's ultimately because it is the true. I have absolutely no control over this, and neither does anybody else. And that is a fearful thing. And yeah, I I think people that say that, if they think about it on a deeper level, there is a fear there. Now, ultimately, it's kind of the same thing. Don't grieve as those who have no hope. So you grieve, but you also have hope. I think you can be afraid of the unknown, afraid of the lack of control, the free, you know, free of the fear. Uh, you can have the fear of that, but at the same time, have a true undergirding hope and not, uh, you know, fearlessness in the face mm. of it, but that's a developed thing. Right. I, I, I agree. I think for me, and you know, this has always tripped me up in my walk and you can help me with this. And then I got a, one other question for you. Um, but for me, I think when I hit that panic, it's fear of the transition. I don't know what that's going to be like. Like, I don't know what is that process? What am I going to see? What am I going to feel? Is it going to be painful? Is it going to be, you know, then am I going to get to God? And, you know, the first thing that everyone says in the Bible when they see an angel is do not be afraid. So am I going to crap myself because I'm afraid when I first get to And then he's going to right, be, oh, right, you're right. good, you're here. Like, there's all those questions that run through my brain. And then the other thing is, and I'll be very honest, there's this, and I know this is probably showing some vulnerability in my own walk with God. There's a thought of, no, I want to hold my grandkids. No, 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 no. I want to see my daughter get married. Like, you know, like. That, sure. Those are the thoughts that, like, that, and it's almost like grasping for earth, which I know is probably not good, but that's the reality. Those are the thoughts that go through my head is, no, 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 I want, I want my loved ones. Well, you know, I don't. Oh, sure you do. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you, how do you as a pastor reconcile that with kind of the, you know, we're supposed to leave it all behind and it's not supposed to matter and Jesus is everything, which I, I do believe Jesus should be everything, but I am attached to my family. And reality is I've never, I've not yet seen Christ. I have seen my wife. I have seen my right. child. I've seen, how, how do you address that from a theological standpoint? Well, because I think our relationship with death is a paradox. For one, it is explicitly called the enemy. Death is the last enemy. It's not a friend. It's not, it's not supposed to be here. We talked about what are we reacting to when we feel tragedy or sadness. It's because it's part of the uh, the poison that's been injected into the world. It's it's the ultimate in fallenness. It's not supposed to be here. It's an invader. And so when you see it interrupt a four-year-old's life, it, 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 you should be grieved. You, you'd be wrong to be grieved. And and what you're expressing, it's kind of the same thing in reverse. Like if I leave, then, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I lost my train of thought. If, if I leave, um, you know, people will grieve me. So, you know, I'm going to, but I can still see how that would be reversed. Of course, I'm going to grieve them in the same way they would grieve me if I left. Uh, I heard one person say, they tried to make the case. Well, you know, if, if 
if you knew someone was going to a beautiful paradise island and everything was wonderful and all that kind of thing and they would be fine, they'd be healthy, wouldn't you rejoice in that? Yeah, you would, but you'd still, if you didn't think you'd ever see them again, at least for the rest of your life, you'd still be sad they were going because you missed the relationship. So there's a a reality check there. Uh, For me, the combo is best expressed uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 if I – I think every Christian ought to memorize that chapter because of its its, its outlook on death, because that's where it calls it the enemy and gives us hope in the resurrection. But the other one is Paul's view of death in Philippians. He talks about his own death in chapter one, and he says, "I desire to depart and be better, uh, depart and be uh, be with Christ, which is better by far, by far." Mm-hmm. So he had that desire, and, and, and I think it's weighing out. Okay, I'm going to miss my kids. I'm going to miss my – but I've got to convince myself in my mind it genuinely is better. I don't know what better means. Right. Uh, I can't see the better. You know, C.S. Lewis had a great thing about, you know, uh, trying to convince a kid that, uh, you know, his little uh, a day at the beach is better than just playing in, the, in a mud pile but because he doesn't have a frame of reference. So we don't know what the better is, and we got to remember the better. But on the flip side of it, two chapters later, he talks about his friend Epaphroditus nearly dying, and he says God spared him, uh, Paul, sorrow upon sorrow. And to me, that walks the paradox. It's kind of like Jesus weeping at the uh, the tomb of Lazarus. There's this mix. So I don't apologize for the mix. There's grief. It's the enemy. I don't want to go because... I don't want to leave those I love and I have a relationship with. But at the same time, I can know that it's better by far, and I need to lean my trust that way. I don't think it's an all or nothing, in other words. I think it's kind of this processed walk that I want to hold loosely to the earth because I might as well anyway because it's going to go whether or no matter how I can hold on to it. I can hold on to all I want. It's going to go away. But that's back to our first thing, though. I mean, I, I believe the the Bible's very clear that worldliness ultimately is not what clothes you wear, what music you listen to. Worldliness is about your fundamental grip on believing that you are going to live forever here and not right. recognizing that to live forever is the ultimate thing. So you do need to hold on loosely to this earth as it is. But it's not and wrong. And 38 Churchill told us that. Yeah, did they really? I didn't know that. I'm, I'm impressed you do know that. <laughs> Maybe you need to refresh my memory because uh, I was I was around when they were popular. Well, they said hold on loosely, but don't let go. Oh, okay, of course. Yeah, this is, that's, that's, I'm impressed you can just pull that out of your your files there. That's that's amazing. I'm I think in lyrics. Thank you so much for listening to Nashville to Memphis. We truly appreciate it. If you enjoy the podcast. Go on to your podcast provider on iTunes and give us a rating. Write us a couple sentences telling everyone how great we are. Ratings should be five stars and nothing below. I love doing this podcast, but like everything else, it costs money to make. So if you would, to show some support, go to Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and stream some of our music. We have seven albums out, and it would mean a lot if you'd share it with your friends and tell everyone else about us, the Jason Lee McKinney Band. And speaking of supporting my music, here's a little sample for you, a song you can sit back and enjoy while you're riding down the road.
used to be the strongest man I knew. Now he's just wasted through. Brush his teeth cause he's too weak to His breath reeks of death Guns black and blue The doctor's cure is worse than the damned old disease His life comes down to memory Facing his mortality The truth is We're all scared to die The truth is We all question why But most of us Can't stand to face The proof The truth is We all have our doubts The truth is We don't have it all figured out We wear our mask of You know, the, the one other thing kind of lighter about, about death, and I'll ask you this question, and, and I'm going to ask you to do something to, to summarize. Hopefully it won't make you too uncomfortable. If it does, I'll just cut it and edit it. But um, I think the aging of rock stars has made me face my own mortality. When I go, oh, Tom Petty died. Hey, he was only, oh, he was 65. Oh, that's right. Okay. Or oh, yeah. 66 or McCartney's 76. Whoa. Right. Like, you know, that – that, you know, and even my favorite prince was in his 50s. Like, well, when did that happen? Yeah. Like, the, how do these people get old? Because I think we immortalize them, not in like the worship sense, but in we freeze them in time of when they were in their oh. prime. And then oh, aging yeah. kind of smacks you in the face and go, oh, they're not. Or like, oh, I know you like Rush when they go, we can't right. tour anymore because right. Neil can't play. It's like, whoa, hang on. Oh, that's yeah. not supposed to happen. So. I don't know exactly. if there's anything like that that, that hits you or. Oh, you know, when I was when I was like 21 or whatever, and I had first become a believer. I I digested the book of, um, of Ecclesiastes and and in, in the Bible because I I always called it the Pink Floyd of the Bible. So I you know, I love Pink Floyd. So it, I, by the way, it, it, that is my favorite book of the Bible. My favorite. Really oh yeah, well it should be. But I would I would maintain that its fundamental message is just that. And I, I was so fascinated by it, it really did transition my thinking. I had a BCAD thing that wasn't based on a death of anyone particularly, but that book transformed my mind to kind of make me see through that grid. And I was, and it's like I watched everybody that was young and vibrant and creative and all my heroes, the rock stars, the movie stars, the everybody stars, knowing that that is a temporary thing, and, mm-hmm. and it's and it's going and I'm and now that I'm in my fifties and I never thought I would be in my fifties or I would see that, you know, two hundred years from now or whatever. Ironically enough, <laughs> I'm watching it happen, and I'm like, that's exactly what Ecclesiastes communicated. That's why you don't want to be worldly. You don't want to be under the illusion that that's not you as well. Because if it's the guys for Rush, or if it's Prince, or if it's you know, the Rolling Stones or whoever else, 
it's going to happen to every single individual without exception. And those that look cool now don't get so tied up in that because they're going to be a punchline here in about 30 years and right. if they don't age well. I mean, and so it really did deliver me from a lot of uh, worries and concerns that way. And that's incidentally, that's where the name One Life Church for me was rooted in. It was, I, oh, wow. I remember having that perspective. It was like, you have one life and one life only. It's not going to last that long. So make every day count and, and know that that's true of everybody. And if you're ever jealous of the billionaire down the street, well, he, all, the only thing he's got on you is he's going to have a much nicer gravestone than you are when you die. And that's it. Uh, other than that, he's going to be a plaque. That's it. And everybody's going to forget he even existed here in a hundred years. So yeah. I, that's I, helpful I, to me. I think so, too. I think the one thing that my own mortality and facing it has done for me has made me truly grateful for my life. I was Absolutely. a very ambitious person when I was younger, unhealthily. I wanted to be – I wanted to have Grammys. I wanted to get a doctorate. I wanted to be a senator. And people were like, okay, which one? Yes, all of those. I'm going to do all of those in my life. And right. And I realized, one, some of those I achieved. Some of those I did not. And the ones that I didn't. I'm probably not going to, at least, and at least in my extensive list. And I'm not giving up on life. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s. There's still some things I can do. But as far as achieving all of them, you start to realize I'm not going to do all these. These, these all aren't going to happen. And right. it started making me grateful for my life for what it is. Like, but if I measure my life compared to, and I heard this uh, quote. Uh, I listened to Dax Shepard, uh, the guy was married. To, he's married to Kristen Bell. She did Frozen. I'm sure you've heard of Frozen. Anyway, he does a podcast. And Kevin Smith, uh, the director, you know, uh, Dax said he directed a film that that flopped. It was it was miserable. It didn't didn't do well. And he was bumming around. He was depressed. He's and Kevin Smith told him, he's like, hey, if you could go back in time and tell 11 year old you that this would be your life, he wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe how awesome your life is. And I started right. doing that and going, my life is pretty good. Like, my kids are oh, all yeah. super healthy. They're strong believers. They're accomplishing things in music that I never could accomplish. They're, they're, my wife is great. I, I have a home. I'm happy. Like, if you started counting that way, instead of the comparison game that I used to play, because if you play the comparison game, you're always going to lose. Because you're always going to lose somebody has something that you don't have. Sure. So that, and then Ecclesiastes for me, I was going to say, why it relaxes me. People talk about how depressing it is, but that whole phrase, it's all meaningless. I don't hear that and go, oh, it's all meaningless. I'm going to dress like the cure and look at gray walls. I look at it as going, it's meaningless. So why am I worried about it? Like, why, why am I caught up in worrying about how this record sells or, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever the thing is, it, it, it mellows me out to the point of going, well, let's focus on what does matter. And, yeah. and that, that's really hard for me sometimes, but I do think that is the point of Ecclesiastes. He's, he's looking back at the end of his life going, I tried it all. Women, I tried yeah. it. Money, I tried yeah. it. Art, I tried it. It's all meaningless, you know, so. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it, it reminds me, I, I keep having the image. Uh, I did have an experience of a very close friend of mine was told by a doctor he had a form of cancer. You have at best six months. I mean, he went through that experience and he called me immediately and we went out and, you know, he just, and I, and I will never forget the unpacking of his soul. And his first question was, okay, buddy, is this stuff really real or not? 
Right. He, I mean, he said, you know, because now it's time. And he was only in his early 50s. And he said, it's time. So whenever I do die and they lay my body in a box, what's going to really happen to me? Is all this stuff we're talking about, Christianity and Bible, is it real or it's not? I love that question. Like, I, because it's, it's no longer time to, you know, sit around and speculate because now right. I'm facing what's going to happen to me. And second, just a few weeks later, he ended up having a miraculous surgery and, and survived now about five years past. But he also, I'll never forget him saying a little bit later how precious, and it sounds cliche, but it's very real, how precious each day was. He said he and his wife were driving around after that, and it was storming, and it was gloomy, and they, were, they started to complain about the weather, and they looked at each other and said, this isn't a bad day. This is a great day, because they were driving around. They were breathing, seeing, feeling, hearing, enjoying one another. Just And so he didn't care about the rain. He didn't care about any of that stuff anymore. It was all about, and now that he has miraculously survived, he will always tell you it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him because it completely revolutionized how he viewed life. And I, and I think the message of Scripture and everything else is you don't have to be diagnosed with cancer to have that experience. If you'll just really think about it, you can have it by mindset and just right. adjust yourself and remember to breathe in and out, to hear, see, feel, be thankful, be, uh, be present where you are each day with people and, and uh, because this truly might be your last day. You don't know that. Right. All right. So my last question is this. If someone came into your office and said, hey, Brett, I am, I am paralytically fearful of death, but I have a faith in Jesus Christ, what would be your advice? What, what would you tell them in a sort of elevator paragraph to comfort them? Um, I mean, if it was, if it really happened, I would dig into why I would have to have a few questions. What do you think the root of the fear is? You know, is it fear of right, condemnation, right. the unknown or whatever else? But I, but for me, the most ignored at, at our own peril, uh, doctrine in all of Christendom is the resurrection. We talk about it on Easter, but we don't talk about what it really truly means for the ultimate present. And I, it, it because, again, First Corinthians 15 is where I would take them and say, let's talk about this. Because he starts by saying, I told you the most important stuff. First importance, Christ died for our sins uh, according to the scriptures. Second was that he rose again from the dead, or uh, he was buried, that he rose again from the dead. He was seen by witnesses. In other words, you're probably afraid of it because of your own guilt and fear rooted in your morals. Um, so he died on the cross for your scripture. That's the root of most people's fears. They always have this instinct that they're going to be judged. But second of all, he rose again, literally physically from the dead and was seen by witnesses. This is not just a fairy tale thing. This is not just a, a nice religious idea. And then you could go into the whole apologetics thing or whatever else. But, and then you read the rest of the chapter where it talks about death being the enemy and overcoming and all that. I would just push them hard to deeply digest that chapter into their worldview. And, and, and about the time every, every time you had that fear, just read that sucker again, because I maintain it's all there in compressed form in a beautiful way. That's very deep and rich and good and not filled with, you know, heaven platitudes. It's real boots on the ground kind of stuff. It's just remarkable. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing it, man. Another, you're the, you're one of the few people that's on season one and two. I, so, uh. Um, All right. Yeah, that's right. Man, I, 
I'm going to wear this badge of honor today. <laughs> it makes my day better. <laughs> I appreciate Thank you. It, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it, man.